0: The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with John Thomas Flynn, who is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Ask the CIO, Sled Edition on Federal News Network. Now your host, John Thomas Flynn.
1: Welcome, everyone. Our guest today is Sean Riley, Chief Information Officer and Cabinet Secretary of North Dakota. Welcome to Ask the CIO Sled Edition, our state and local program, Sean. It's great to have you on the air. Well,
2: it's- Great to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Before we get started on your uh, IT issues, plans, and other state priorities, our listeners like to hear a little bit about our guest's background. Uh, I've conducted probably 30 or 40 of these over the last couple years, and uh, it uh, never ceases to amaze me the background in some of our, our CIO colleagues around the country. Delaware's James Collins was a dental technician in the Air Force. And uh, John McMillan in Pennsylvania was tech support at the Department of Defense in Canada. And from my old stomping grounds in Massachusetts, Kurt Wood uh, was in studio here. and He uh, told us he began his career in prison, not as a prisoner, but as a, as a correctional officer. So it's all over the place. So tell us about your background before your appointment by Governor Doug Burgum back in March of 2017.
2: Sure. So uh, I I have kind of an interesting background as well, and uh, I started the IT world really young. I started my own company at the age of 16, and I sold that company off when I was 19. And from there, I went into cybersecurity universe and IBM and then nuclear power industry. And most recently, I was a regional executive in the IT world for the Mayo Clinic, so at uh, Mayo, I had 19 hospitals and 72 clinics worth of IT that I was responsible for across multiple states and all sorts of fun things in the technology world. So it's, uh, it's been a long uh, tech-driven ride for me. I kind of started in tech and I've stayed in tech and a lot of fun.
1: How did your CIO appointment begin? Was it the typical nationwide search? Uh, that was a big leap from uh, the Mayo Clinic to the government of North Dakota.
2: Yeah, I never pictured myself going to government, to be honest. I really have always been a private sector guy and didn't really expect myself moving that way. But my personal background is a little different. When I started that company at the age of 16, it wasn't because I was super brilliant or innovative or anything like that. It was because I wanted to eat. I had two brothers and two sisters, and we were in a, in a home where my father was an alcoholic. My mother was um, uh, had her own addiction problems, and it was kind of a survival tactic. And the amazing part is, is it went from being a survival tactic to something pretty successful, and when I walked away from that, um, I was at a point in my life where I said, hey, I, I want to do something more. I want to do something different. Um, money is not a motivator for me. So that's why I left regular industry to go into healthcare. And when Governor Burgum uh, came along into into his role, I had uh, been to the state of North Dakota grand total one time. I'm a Minnesota kid. Uh, I had never been to Bismarck previously. And the governor, through uh, reputation, I think he was looking for somebody with a bit of a streak of crazy in him. And there was a point where you could actually Google "crazy CIO" and my name would come up. <laughs> and, and they they were looking for somebody who could be uh, a real over-the-top change agent, and that's been my job for a long time, taking on projects that are really, really difficult projects that nobody else, uh, as I would say, is crazy enough to take on. And with that, I think uh, Governor Burgum was kind of attracted to my, my record. They reached out. I applied for the job, um, and they brought me on board, and it uh, was a great, great conversation with him. Uh, he asked me to come up sit down with him in the middle of legislative session. And if uh, anybody knows Governor Burgum, he's the guy who uh, got kicked out of the Senate for wearing jeans. Uh, And (laughs) I walk into the interview, and uh, he's got this little round table in his office, and he rolls this purple yoga ball up to the table. He sits down on it wearing jeans and a blue coat and just starts telling me about all the ways that we could really use technology to help people. And he truly, really believes in his heart that we can use technology to make the lives of people better. and after uh, two hours of that conversation, I said, "Cool, i'm in <laughs> mm, and, and, and and been here ever since
1: Uh-huh And was it a, a search firm that uh, identified you? is that how it, how it came to came about?
2: Ah, uh, so the uh, governor has his own team that uh, that works through those processes, and they uh, I think he also being an i t guy himself and being very very well connected across the world uh, it uh, he he had connections to so just make references and uh, brought us all together
1: uhhuh that 's interesting and obviously we 're going to get into that a little more deeply it 's always nice to have uh, uh, an executive champion or sponsor if you will your boss who's uh, who believes in technology and what it can be used for because that 's certainly not always the case across the board as i 've learned personally and professionally. Um, Tell us about your office information technology department. How is it situated on the organization chart? I think you answered that for me when you introduced yourself uh, with your title about cabinet secretary because I wasn't sure. Tell us more about the organization.
2: Yeah, our, our organization is a shared service structure. So in a shared service, we have all infrastructure for the entirety of the executive branch, we have all uh, application support and uh, really the entirety of IT services across the cabinet. And all of those are centrally located within a unified shared structure. And that unified shared structure uh, reports up to me, and then I report directly to the governor. And so that that gives us an amazing capability to be able to create standards and to be able to ensure that we can provide really uh, an an incredible economy of scale that most other situations just don't have.
1: Yeah, it's quite an evolution of the position of the technology leader in states. Like I mentioned, have mentioned before, when I joined uh, uh, Governor Weld's uh, administration in Massachusetts uh, back in 90, I guess it was 93, 94, uh, there were no chief information officers in state government, and I could – arguably, I was one of the first back in 90, 94, 95. And now, according to Doug Robinson, our friend over at NACIO, he's the uh, – he tells me that every single uh, CIO in the state is now appointed by the governor, and a good dozen or more, and increasing every election, are members of the cabinet like yourself. So I keep telling Doug, well, you're going to have to change the name of the uh, – NASIO, again, it used to be NASA the then CIOs, and maybe it'll be secretaries, cabinet secretaries. and I think that's the future, and I think that we're going to talk a little bit about that. I think that makes your job a lot easier than it is in the olden days when you, maybe the CIO just had a policy responsibility and was, and was two or three levels below the rest of the cabinet. Uh, tell us about your, your organization from a, a budget standpoint, your staff and leadership, et cetera. I guess, you, as I read, you're on a biannual uh, basis uh, about a fourteen fifteen billion dollar budget for two years.
2: Yeah, so the the state of North Dakota is certainly one of the smaller states, but we are in a, an exceptionally positive fiscal position between our agriculture and our commodity world. Uh, the state here is the. Second largest energy producer in the nation there's a huge agricultural base here there's sixteen different grains that uh, North Dakota is the primary producer across the country and that's really put this state in a in a hugely positive fiscal position so from an i t standpoint, I think there's an evolution of thinking that's moving here, and this really comes from a combination of uh, a new governor and new team around him. But people are starting to believe that investment in technology actually can save money. And as they're believing that, uh, we are seeing some pretty significant increases in our overall budget. So we've seen uh, a couple hundred million dollars in increased capital projects here over these last two years. We've seen an 80% increase in our cybersecurity staffing. We've seen a 400% increase in our cybersecurity program overall in its uh, tool sets and uh, opEx so we're we're getting very good support uh, between the governor and the legislature. I think the the real aspect though is there is an evolution through this process where people have believed that, technology was really a cost center in the past. They didn't see it as the tip of the spear that enables innovation and enables strategy across the state government. And, and that's just a, really a difference in mindset, and that mindset is changing very, very quickly here.
1: I know that Governor Burgum, I believe his State of the State speech will be coming up next week, as a matter of fact. Tell us about that budget. What's, your, what's the new budget for North Dakota in terms of uh, your office?
2: yeah, so we are talking about expansions really across our entire platform of technology. So we have uh, we have this kind of conquer Mars attitude. So we are really thinking differently about how everything used to work versus how we want it to work. So we still have lots of mainframe systems. We still have lots of old client-server technology. We still have lots of technology here that, frankly, is older than I am and Mm -hmm. things that we're trying to uh, forklift and bring into the 21st century. And with that comes an entirely new strategy around artificial intelligence, around Internet of Things, uh, some of those platforms. So we have launched an initiative to be the first state to have a comprehensive statewide out-of-line-of-sight drone radar system called BVLOS, Beyond Visual Line of Sight. And with that system now, that's a a huge platform for the state. Uh, We have launched an initiative called the Grand Farm. The Grand Farm is a fully autonomous farming environment. Uh, We're working through new platforms, in our IOT sensors. And for a state that has just shy of a million people, we're talking about having a billion with a B, billion sensors across the state. Environmental management and water and roads, and, 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 and. Huge, huge things going on.
1: Sean, let's take a short break right now. Our guest today is Sean Riley, Chief Information Officer for North Dakota. You're listening to Ask the CIO Sled Edition on Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn.
0: A tool called Near Real-Time Surveillance is flagging incidents that might provide early warning about new areas of coronavirus concern. Mike Gallivan is director of data science at Metabiota, a company that tracks epidemics in part by sifting through the World Wide Web.
1: Our engineers help with our algorithms to allow us to cut through a lot of the noise, particularly different news reports. And help both identify the event and then help them extract data from relevant reports.
0: Metabiota's clients include insurance companies and U.S. intelligence agencies. These are
1: tools to help decision makers make decisions much quicker speed is really essential
0: to stop an outbreak. Gallivan says the information they gather is also being combined with global flight data to predict risks of where the virus might spread next. To find out more and see a tool you can use to track infectious diseases around the world, go to www.nae.edu slash radio. With the National Academy of Engineering, Randy Atkins, Federal News Network.
1: Welcome back to Ask the CIO SLED edition on Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn and my guest today is Sean Riley, Chief Information Officer of North Dakota. Sean, before the break, we were just talking about some of the new initiatives that uh, are included in your in your governor's new budget for 2020 and 2021. I'm always interested in the state and local government CIO's relationship with their chief executive and their role as the, your executive champion. And I certainly think that Having a governor who's a a former IT software company billionaire, uh, it it has its good side and its bad side. But I imagine it's mostly good. Uh, There's nothing worse than having a governor that uh, detests technology and doesn't even want to talk about it. And certainly that, that occurs from time to time. Tell us about that relationship because I think there's two aspects to allow for an environment for success for a state CIO. And one of them is that executive sponsorship And the second one is about operational authority. We'll get into that later. So tell us about that relationship you have.
2: It's point blank the most uh, amazing relationship I've had in my career. I have worked with many, many executives in many organizations all around the world. And the amazing parts about Governor Burgum is that I can walk in to his office, talk about technology, talk about the business, talk about adding value to citizen. And he absolutely gets it across the board. He can, um, another podcast that he and I did, uh, uh, probably a year ago now, where we're sitting down and on one hand we're talking about increasing the value to a citizen and how we're, lowering the cost of service of government through technology. And in the next moment, we're actually talking about firewall rules. And, yeah. <laughs> and um, you know, it's just amazing to have somebody like that who really sees the strategic vision of technology and how you can enable it across uh, an entirely new spectrum of services. So I've worked for some great executives in the past, but I would have to say this is this is definitely my hands-down favorite relationship of somebody who... Who really sees the potential of what it is that we do on a day-to-day basis?
1: I think it's also interesting, considering your background coming from the private sector in healthcare. The previous governor is it Dalrymple? Is that how you pronounce it, Governor yes. Dalrymple? Yes. I know that he was, uh, you know, he uh, had a farmer in some respects, but really most of his uh, career was in government—a a broad change from uh, from your current governor. What's that like in terms of the change management issues where you're used to dealing with government and your organization is used to dealing in government with government administrators and bringing someone in totally from the outside like that? What was the what was the impact?
2: Yeah, I think the the first thing that people have to realize is that um business is still a business, right? And whether it's government or whether it's private sector, there there's much much more that's similar than there is that's different. Now, that being said, the differences do make private sector people kind of chew on their hands a little bit. They do look around and go, wait a minute, how does procurement work? Wait a minute, how does your finances work? That is one thing that is kind of unique to government is that the, the methods of, of working money internally for expenditures is considerably different than the private sector. That being said, I think there's a bit of... Uh, adoption that everybody has to come together. And as long as folks have an open mind, are thinking in a growth mindset, saying what is possible, and sit down and actually have a conversation, they absolutely can figure out how we can make things better across the board. And the private sector people started understanding those issues that are are very real for government. And the government people start realizing that maybe not everything is so cut and dry and there are opportunities to think differently. And it's an evolution. I've had this with my own team. Um, My team was all long-term government folks and uh, many of my new executives here over the last two years are all private sector people. They've all gone through that same kind of, uh, grieving and adoption period. And as they go through that. It's uh, gross. It's growth, Sean, Gross. It, it is. It, it is. It's, it's growth. Um, but it's, you know, we, we all have to realize that Nobody goes to work in the morning saying, hey, I'm going to make a dumb decision, right? They go to work in the morning, they make the best decision they can with the information they have and the resources they have available. And what it, what the leaders coming in to this environment have to realize is that people made the best decision they could. But we can reevaluate that decision. And that's where the legacy team, the, the old guard legacy team seems to believe that Wait, this decision was made back in 1978, it can't be reevaluated. What absolutely can? And the new team coming in has to realize that when that decision was made, it was an excellent decision, but times have changed, and it's okay. So it's a little bit of movement on both sides really coming to a center, and it's giving us a really cohesive organization that's been very, very nimble. Uh, we've been able to get a lot of things done in two years' time that, frankly, people just look at me and their eyebrows go up and they go, wow, that's that's impressive. So so it's uh, some great things that we've been able to, to move forward.
1: You know, back to your your governor for a second, uh, your relationship, that sounds just so interesting and so provocative in many ways and helpful in your job, but he sounds like a real interesting character. I know one thing that jumped out at me when I was looking into North Dakota and his uh, uh, his election, I mean, he never involved in politics before in his life but what was really interesting is he used to be a chimney sweep i guess and when when he applied to graduate school there was a photo circulating somewhere that uh, that showed him <laughs> his, with his uh, wares and it actually found its way to the uh, Re- application review group at stanford and they said hey there's a chimney sweep from north dakota who's applied <laughs> so it helped him get into the get into uh, stanford graduate school where of course he met uh, balmer tell us a little bit more about that story
2: yeah, I mean, it's kind of an amazing story. I think uh, it just goes to show you that anyone can become anything as long as they apply themselves to it. Uh, they There's this whole aspect of applying a growth mindset, not putting yourself in a box, believing in the impossible, believing that there is no such thing as impossible. And Governor Burgum's really that guy. He really is. And he, you know, he grew up in a town of uh, just a couple hundred people, and this uh, little town out in the prairie with uh, maybe six trees in the whole town, um, and a few hundred people. And he uh, he moved up in the world by remembering that uh, there is no box, and he. He goes into, you know, goes into NDSU and uh, does college there. And yes, as a chimney sweep with this, with this great picture where he's uh, he's uh, sooted all the way through his body, Um, and his folks at Stanford see that and they say, hey, let's bring him in. He ends up uh, going to graduate school in Stanford and uh, meeting world-renowned people like the Bill Gates and the Steve Ballmer's of the world, and just continuing to believe that he could absolutely do something he starts a company uh, great plains software which he based in here in fargo north dakota and ultimately became a a multi-billion dollar organization which was merged into microsoft and it's been a an amazing conversation uh, with this team learning about them because uh for me, I'd, I'd never met uh, Governor Burgum before he actually did the interview. I'd never met any of his team. And coming in for these two years and really building this relationship has been very impressive. Hmm. He, uh, Besides himself, he's also brought other executives that he's worked with here into this team. And it's, uh, it's an amazing, amazing group that's really made up of uh, senior executives from the IT world from really across the entire industry.
1: I had... Uh... On our show recently, one of the CIOs, uh, Joshua Spence, and he was in the in the National Guard for twenty years before he became CIO. And I asked him the same question I'm going to ask you. You were in the healthcare for about fifteen years, uh, healthcare IT. That experience, I'm sure, has affected your role as state CIO. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So healthcare is in reality, it's just government light. <laughs> <laughs> it's. Um, One of the things I learned uh, at Mayo Clinic, as of for instance, one of my jobs was to merge 12 different medical centers and one of the projects I had. And these medical centers were all Mayo Clinic environments, all owned by Mayo, but they were completely autonomous from each other. Uh, They had their own board of trustees, their own board of directors, their own CEOs, etc., etc. And what I very quickly learned is that uh, the, the model in healthcare, and this isn't just massive tertiary, quaternary centers like MAIL, but the model is to be very, very consensus driven. And that model is to be, frankly, extraordinarily decentralized when it comes to their governance. And I didn't expect government to be like that, I expected government to be much more uniform. But when I started working here, my kind of my uh, running line is it's not really the state of North Dakota. It's more like the United Nations of North Dakota. (laughs) And you got 57 different executive branch agencies that are completely independent from each other. And nobody really has to take any direction from anybody else unless they feel like it. Mm. And (laughs) then you get to the legislative branch and judicial and then all the other forms of government throughout the state with cities, counties, K-12, higher ed, et cetera, et cetera. Healthcare really helped prepare me for that, frankly. Uh, had I come from some of my, my previous uh, IT roles, uh, it would have felt extraordinarily foreign. Yeah. It felt really, really similar to healthcare.
1: Sean, with that, we're going to have to conclude our program today. I want to thank our guest, Sean Riley, Chief Information Officer and Cabinet Secretary in North Dakota. Sean, thanks for taking the time to be with us.
2: No, absolutely. I'm very, very happy to uh, be asked to be on the program, and thank you very much for the invitation.
1: Sure, and I want to thank all of you for listening. Content from this state and local program, which also includes curated news and original articles by yours truly and other more esteemed authors, is part of the recently expanded AskTheCIO.com. Hope you can join us again each Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time or listen to a podcast afterwards. Until then, bye for now. I'm John Thomas Flynn. You've been listening to Ask the CIO, Sled Edition with John Thomas Flynn on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.